Dear Church Podcast. Well, thank you for listening to episode one of season two of the Dear Church Podcast. And we're glad to be back. We had this initial grand plan of getting together with Tom up in Dubuque, Iowa. And we were all going to gather um, and record, and, and man, it was going to be great. And then COVID struck Martin Wickens for the second time. You had COVID on New Year's Day two years in a row. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Beginning of the year for the last two years. Way to start the year off right, bro. Telling you what, it's awesome. Steve, how are you doing, man? How's Twitter land going over there? Hey, things are going good. I've been not as active on Twitter lately, and I'll probably become less and less active. That's my goal. I love it, though. I love interacting. I love the philosophical and biblical discussions. I think it's good to sharpen. Preachers need they. We need that. We need to publicly be out there. Truth doesn't fear a challenge. You're right. The preachers need to sharpen each other on Twitter. I'm just wondering when, when it's going to happen to you, Steve. <laughs> Tom, and come on. Start in season two as we mean to go on. <laughs> hey, listen. Oh, man. We we kind of pride ourselves on the fact that we disagree quite a bit. So way to let everybody know that right out the gate. If you're just joining us, by the way, and you have not uh, yet listened to season one, we do encourage you to go back and check that out. A lot of good things. Uh, I'm always amazed that people listen. I'm amazed that some of my church members listen. Does that shock you guys when your church people come up and be like, hey, man, I like that announcement. It was really pragmatic of you because that's happening to me now. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, you're welcome. I just yeah. hope I'm not causing problems for any of you all, but I don't you know. Think I, wait, I was wait, a little concerned is, about that, honestly, because I, I, yeah. I had forgotten when as we recorded these, I wasn't even thinking about my church. And I said some things, not that I I'm ashamed of, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about them listening necessarily. And it's caused some interesting conversations, not bad, interesting conversations. And I think it's been good for my people to hear your perspective and the mm. perspective of the people that give us feedback online. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. been healthy for my church. I've been amazed. And I think, the- I think we ought to make a, a, just an honest, and it really relates to today's topic, but a disclaimer that, you know, just cause somebody says something on here or, one of us says something in Twitterverse or Facebook world or whatever. It doesn't mean all of us agree with that person. You're right about that. We, (laughs) we have uh, a varied, um, varied thought in here. This is very, uh, how, how was it? You said the very first episode of diverse group. And then we, we got flack for that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we we did. did. But you know, we got flack for a lot of stuff. We also, Haters gonna hate. We, yeah, we, like you know, it is gonna happen. But that's not why we're here. We're not here for that. And we are here for another season. Um, we're doing it different, as you can tell. We're uh, maybe if you're listening, you can't tell, but um, we're recording these things virtually, and so we've been working on uh, a lot of that stuff uh, as far as quality and all that kind of thing. And so, thanks for tuning in again, and thanks for being part of the Dear Church podcast with us. Now, with that. We want to jump right in and we want to start off our season, if you will, with a topic that uh, it pertains not just to pastors and not just to church members, but to Christians across the board. Um, It's uh, the topic of individual soul liberty. Individual soul liberty is something that I think is probably going to be debated. I think probably we're going to hear from a lot of people that that are going to say, I don't think it means what you said it means. 
we may say that to each other if we're all, you know, being honest about how we feel about it. Um, so with that being said, let's just jump right in. I think the first thing we have to do is we have to define what individual soul liberty is. You know, what is the, I guess, what is the traditional definition of individual soul liberty? Well, something that I would throw out there is it's a, um, it's something that's God given to each individual. So every Christian has the ability, the responsibility to know and respond to God's word. Um, mm-hmm. It's something which has been, it's in the Old Testament through the New Testament. Uh, we can know and we can choose to do or not do what God's word says. In other yeah. words, you're saying that because we have a responsibility to obey God individually, then we have the right to obey him as we understand him to command us. Yes. E.Y. Mullen said, uh, 19th century uh, Southern Baptist guy said, God alone is the Lord of my conscience. I like the, I like the simplicity of that description of soul liberty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a synonym of soul liberty is freedom of conscience, definitely. And that that even, I mean, soul liberty would be a term that we would use for believers because only believers are truly set free from the power of sin in our life. Um, but all humanity has and should have freedom of conscience where you're not coerced into believing and that that also ties into separation of church and state. Um, and those are those are key factors in biblical Christianity. And, you know, thankfully, know, Martin, our nation read, was affected by that. Martin, you read some of Roger Williams and uh he was he was so instrumental in that in the founding of, of America in the sense of changing and shifting our perspective from the European perspective of a of a state religion to one where each individual had the opportunity to worship God as they saw fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's it is a development that was going on in Europe for hundreds of years, and it came to a full fruition here in the states. But yeah, Roger Williams, he I think one of the the statements he made that. Uh, and this sounds very abrupt, but he made a, a statement. He said that the forcing of conscience is a soul rape. And I think that's a very brutal way of putting it and maybe not one, a phrase that we would use today, but it kind of shows the strength of his feeling that if you try to force someone else against their conscience, then mm-hmm. that is a violence against their person. And Spurgeon made a very strong statement as well. He said, we will never make the church. He was speaking of Baptist specifically. He said, we will never make the church the despot over the consciences of man. We're going to have to get into that a little bit, but that mm-hmm. man, that's, that's a pretty direct, like hit at home kind of statement. You know, so I guess I asked the question, we, we agree basically on how we've all come together to define it today. And, and I appreciate you guys sharing some of the history and things of that nature but why is it so important to talk about today? If it's been established and it's been taught, um, maybe most of the people who are listening would say, yeah, I'm familiar with individual soul liberty. They would maybe even agree with what we said. Why, why do we need to reemphasize this? What is, what's going on today? How is this applicable to right now? I would say it's truth is under it's truth. And because it's truth, it's always under attack. And, you know, the idea of individual soul liberty affects leaders in their leadership roles and all believers within a church, how we interact with one another. Um, you know, it plays a huge part in, you know, the level in which we get involved in other people's lives. And oh, yeah. the fact of the matter is we we ought not get involved in other people's lives by and large. And 
Um, you know, strange thing for Preacher to say. Yeah, we're gonna need to clarify that. But but yeah, yeah, I I know know what you're saying. Have you met Twitter? I swung. No, I'm not. Spot on though. There's that line. I was just having an argument. Okay, discussion on my blog today uh, about an article that I wrote, and and a guy was telling me that um, he felt a pastor he had was was too controlling, and and I was responding and saying, well, he has the right to you know, has the responsibility to, to control things that happen in his church. And mm-hmm. his response was, okay, I accept that, but he doesn't have the right to control the things that happen in my home. And I mm-hmm. think that there's some sort mm-hmm. of where that interplay connects. And sometimes we connect that badly and bad things happen as a result. Yeah. That's from the perspective of a leader, you know, and, and we have to always balance. I think, it, I think it's a bit of a juggling act because of what you just said, Tom, and I want to kind of capitalize on what you said does a pastor have the right to control what happens in his church? Yes, to a certain degree, uh, certainly within the confines of scripture, as well as conscience to a degree as well. Um, But where does that stop and where does that begin? So that kind of leads us into the conversation a little further, right? What are some of the danger zones? Where are the ditches on the sides of the road? What do we need to avoid? And how, how can we as leaders or as believers even, because this is not just a pastor problem. This is this is a Christian problem. How can we avoid some of the, you know, the inconsistencies and imbalance that we find in this area of individual soul liberty? I think we cannot discuss this without the the hallmark chapter in the Bible on this, which is Romans fourteen, and I think Romans fourteen kind of describes the ditches in, I don't even know if I'd say ditches as far as what's at play. Verse four says, who art thou that judges another man's servant? So there you have, it's addressing the fact that, listen, we're at liberty. Why are you judging God's servant? And then on the, on the other side of the spectrum, you have, you know, as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then let everyone shall give an account of himself to God. And then it says, let us not therefore judge one another mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and so it, you have that side of, hey, why are you judging other people? But then, hey, we're all going to stand before God. And you have that responsibility. I, I always say it this way, vertically between me and God. But then this does address horizontally. What am I doing to my brother or sister? And that's really where, you know, one of my least favorite words used is preference and guys always push back at me and, but I'm just not a big fan of preference myself because to me, there's a black and white line between me and God on everything God wants in my life. And then well, taking what, taking what you've, you've said and, and, you know, where you've read in Romans 14, could we say that one of those ditches would be trying to coerce someone else against their will? You so know, control. that's, that's, one of the dangers there, that controlling, uh, you know, the desire to control someone else. Would you, would you say that's a fair, yes. you know, the, with the danger on one side? Yeah, I would say that. In fact, I would say that has a two, two sides to the same coin. You have the control side. If you're in a leadership position, then you have the fear side. If you're not, it's that I fear man rather than God. And I'm worried about what everyone's going to say. Um, yeah, there's those the Which two is aspects. When you, you voluntarily give up control of your own mm-hmm. soul, mm-hmm. and you 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 renounce your liberty, you you give your freedom over to someone else to control your you spiritually and your thought process and your decision making. And let me let me just throw this reminder out there that 
if we are coercing someone, if we are manipulating someone, controlling someone, or even if we ourselves are doing something out of fear of man, then that's not real faith. That's, that's, that's nothing. You know, I, I love positive peer pressure. It has a lot of good things to it, but if you're just following because the group is your, your, your motive's not right. I mean, that's, I, I remember I have this story from when I was a kid, I took one of my neighbors to Awana with me. I was hoping he would get saved. And they asked if you knew Christ is your savior, raise your hand at the invitation. So I rose my hand. I knew I was saved. And he looked at me and rose his hand. And then I thought, he's just copying me. So then when they said, if you don't know you're going to heaven, I did like one of those where you put your hand up and then like bring it down and scratch your head. And he watched me and he did it, you know, and then he kind of got wrangled into going ahead at the invitation. And I'm just telling you, he didn't get saved that night because it was just trickery. It was, you know, salvation isn't about, you know, getting someone to do whatever, you know, say some prayer. I think control, too, takes not just a religious side. You know, we talk about pastors being domineering, but there's the political side. And we've seen a lot of this under COVID of, mm-hmm. of governments trampling the conscience of people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's where uh, the belief in God is foundational, not just to religious freedom, but every kind of freedom. You know, if, if you don't believe in God, yeah. then you, you, you're going to lose the freedoms. And, and that's mm-hmm. where religious freedom is foundational to economic freedom and political freedom because they, they're so intertwined. And so the subject of religion of, of individual soul liberty is so much broader than I think we sometimes give it credit for. Yeah, Spurgeon, in that same quote where I gave earlier, um, he was talking about that very thing, right? He was talking about how we're, we're not going to put ourselves over the consciences of man, but we're also not going to be controlled. Yeah. And that was pretty, pretty powerful. If uh, I don't have time to get into the whole quote and I'm looking for it and I'm not finding that exact line, but it's in there. It's pretty, pretty neat. So, okay, here's the thing that I, I was thinking as what, what kind of what Steve was saying, which you bring up a good point. And so I don't bring this up to challenge it. I bring it up to maybe sharpen the point a little bit. And that is this, that some people would say, yeah, pastors should not control, um, and, and this, that, and the other, but don't you think there's also a propensity in some who may be rebellious to always call a leader controlling, you know, and you, you think about some of the men who did, who built some of the greatest works for Christ were considered dictators by some of the, their followers, right? How, how do you manage that in your mind when you're trying to be a leader? You're like, well, I don't want to manipulate and I don't want to control, but I do have to lead. And where does, maybe that could be a discussion as to the individual soul liberty of the leader. I think that's where you, as a leader, you've got to have the right mindset. I think you you want to lead by example and lead by influence and lead gently. And when you're trying to get people to do things and you believe it's all on you to force some kind of outward conformity, well, then it's showing a lack of faith in God and his word because if the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life, we need to trust the Holy Spirit through the word of God to do a work in the person's life. And so I think that the leader having the right mindset is is vital in making sure that we acknowledge the soul liberty that others have. Has have any of you ever had someone maybe within your church or someone under your leadership accuse you of being or infer maybe that you are a dictator? I yes. think all of us have. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
And, and I, not I, recently, I, but yes. Well, it, pastors, good, pastors need to hear that because we're we're trying to teach a balance, but at the same time, we also acknowledge that you can't avoid being hit with that with no, that arrow. Yeah, no, you can't. Right. A, a good reminder is, you know, one of the synonyms for individual soul liberty is individual soul responsibility. So, I mean, as a pastor, you got to ask yourself who has the responsibility. And I'll tell you, it's very hard as a pastor, and you men understand this, that when mm-hmm. something happens with the people you pastor, you kind of feel responsible. You feel like, wow, if someone else was their pastor, they probably wouldn't be this way or do this, or at least I struggle with that. I, I'm sure you guys do, but but you got to realize, I mean, it's kind of like sharing the gospel with someone. If they accept it or they reject it, that's the, your responsibility is to declare. So as a pastor, I... I understand the people I pastor, they, they're responsible for their actions. They're responsible for their decisions. And, you know, to me, that helps me realize my, my job is to declare truth. It's to, you know, give leadership, but ultimately I can't make them do things. I can't control them. And that's, that's dangerous when you start to think you can. I think another, how bad is it? How, how bad is it out there with, pastors and churches where there's just that spirit of domination. Uh, let me give you one illustration. I wrote about this in Schizophrenic. I, when I was coming up in fundamentalism and the, the orbit that I was in, in the independent Baptist world, pastors routinely asked for veto power. And what they meant by that is if you're going to make a major decision, who you're going to marry, you know, where you're going to go to college, something like that. We don't want to tell you what to do, but we want to reserve the right to tell you that you can't make that choice, that that one decision you make. Just trust me. You don't know what you're doing. You don't see what I see. And so and so I'm going to veto that decision. I'm not controlling your will, but I'm vetoing that decision. And I understand where that springs from, the sincerity of it as a pastor and counselor. So many times people have not followed my advice and it gets so frustrating. But I, I genuinely believe that that concept, though it sprang from sincerity out of a desire to minister to people, it controlled their will. It, it jumped all over their soul liberty. And you're you're telling someone who walks into your office, give me the right not just to influence your decision or speak to your decision, but give me the right to tell you that you can't make a decision. Let me take your will. And I think mm. that violates soul liberty. A hundred percent. I think that's, um, you know, we talk about individual soul liberty, and I think it's because it fits the Baptist acrostic. You have the I there. But um, I think one of the terminologies that I've come across that I, I think is helpful is outside of the Baptist world, it's sometimes referred to as soul competency. And it's that idea mm-hmm. that each individual soul is competent to understand and respond to God themselves. They don't need some outside force to enable them, whether it be a Roman Catholic priest or, you know, an overzealous Baptist preacher, each soul is competent to respond to God themselves. Yeah. And that kind of goes along with another one of the distinctives of the priesthood of the believer and that kind of thing. And I would agree with that. So, okay, individual soul liberty, it's taught in the Bible, but it becomes abused when when we ignore it. I mean, essentially is what we're saying, that we get into a danger zone as leaders. I think maybe the way that that looks in the life of just a, a church member, I don't mean that that may have come out the wrong way, not just a <laughs> church member, but uh, someone who's not a pastor, right, um, is that we obsess over the problems and sins and issues of others. And we get that beam in our own eye and the mode in their eye kind yeah, of syndrome. That's great. 
yeah. and we we just over um, overthink and and maybe even grow into a sense of bitterness because so and so's just got this problem. And I think that we have to understand as Christians that God's going to deal with them. I said this to my church at the time of this recording. It's a Monday, so Sunday was yesterday. Um, I said to our church, I said, I've never changed anyone's mind as far as I can tell. I've never changed anyone's life. Anyone who anyone who anyone whose life has been changed here at Faithway Baptist Church, it's been because God did a work in spite of me. And that's been a journey. I mean, my goodness, we've all, we've all tried, you know, well, even, even, that- Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, I think this is directly what you're speaking to. The criticism we get sometimes as pastors that we don't let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. And the same thing's true of, of church members. They don't let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. When, when you check right. your mind at the door and you say to a pastor, I'll do whatever you tell me, you're not following the Lord. You're following the pastor. And, and there's a whole lot down that road I don't want to chase at the moment. But as a pastor, hmm. you're we want to force change and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work. Yeah. We're trampling over their will and the Holy Spirit's role, which doesn't mean we ought to be jelloey. Doesn't mean we ought to be, you know, you know, neos don't believe anything, you know, et cetera, et cetera, emerge the church. But the Holy Spirit does his work. Correct. Yeah. And I think I, whenever we get in these discussions, we, we tend to slide into the leadership side of things, which is understandable because we're all pastors. But, you know, when people attend a church and they they have to recognize part of this reality is they have an individual responsibility to the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ. Pastor is not the head of the church, and mm-hmm. they they have a response. What makes a church is not the pastor. He can give leadership. I, I think pastor gives you know his own little character to a church. Um, now pastors can be overly controlling, but what, what makes a church is the people and people stepping up, taking responsibility. And if you look at growing, thriving churches, it's not just because they always have a dynamic pastor. In fact, the dynamics of a pastor many times would be that they are building people because people reach people. Um, and as I heard an old preacher preach years ago when I was a teenager, sheep reach sheep and, um, you know, or sheep bear sheep is the way he said it. And I, I would encourage people under to understand that, you know, if you're waiting around for everything to happen in your church life, uh, that your pastor is going to make you do it. Yeah. Take some responsibility and go after it. I agree that the pastor ought to be the spiritual tone setter of the church. I do not agree that a church should be spiritual only because of the pastor and our people need to grow in the knowledge of Christ and in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that's where we've got to teach them. I think that we do our churches a disservice when we neglect to teach them to study the Bible for themselves. And we're afraid to say that sometimes because we feel like that takes authority away from us, but it doesn't. It only adds to what God wants to do through us. And so that's legitimately a danger zone, right, is to be controlling, domineering, authoritarian. Um, I like to distinguish between the words authoritative and authoritarian, right? Authoritative on scripture, good thing. Authoritarian, because of me, bad thing. And so that's a danger zone. But you know, there's another side of this that also becomes a major hotspot of, I think, Steve, you you would, I think, refer to it earlier as licentiousness and license. And that is, is that we, when someone grasps their liberty without understanding their responsibility, 
because liberty doesn't free us to do whatever we want. Liberty frees us to be able to serve others as God would have us to do so, right? I mean, the Bible says, use not let your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And so what we do sometimes is we ignore the fact that there still is a Bible and there still are things God wants us to adhere to within our liberty. Yeah. And I, I would add this to the fact of licentiousness in, in even the wrong approach to liberty, basically throwing off anything and everything. Like I'm at liberty, I'm free to just sin almost as now no one actually says that but that mentality all right okay steve let me throw this at you well wait wait a minute second peter 2 19 while they promise them liberty they themselves are servants of corruption for of whom a man is overcome of the same will be brought in bondage and you can promise liberty like hey you're, you're free to do that but i'm telling you preachers who preach on sin who, yeah. who talk about that. They're yeah, not exactly. trying to steal something from someone. They're trying right. to set you free because sin enslaves you. What if What if someone told you, I'll just direct it at Steve, but anyone can comment, you know, because of my individual soul liberty, then I choose not to go to church because I can worship God at home. Yeah, I, my answer to that would be, well, you have the freedom of conscience to do so. And that is a little bit different between no, they no, don't. The, no, the, we, no the they don't. They don't have the. They, they don't have any freedom to decide that, because the Bible says that they're supposed to be part of a local church. That no, you don't, I agree, with Steve. You, you you do have the right to make that decision for yourself, but it is the wrong decision. And if okay, you try to justify it by saying that, you're free not to go to church, you would be incorrect. Yeah, yeah and that's it's not going to help you either. Right, yeah, and not that's, that's what I meant. That. So, like, somebody has <laughs> you have the you have the liberty to make that choice. But soul liberty is not the liberty to do what you want. It's the liberty to respond to God and do what exactly. he wants. Exactly. Well, exactly. It doesn't, liberty does not negate responsibility. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we could say it very crudely, which would be, it's the freedom to be an idiot. I mean, <laughs> the right. I say yeah. things kind of blunt. You guys know that I'm the, the bulldog or. Not directed I, at me. I, no, no, <laughs> okay. it's not. It's not. That thought I was looking across my mind that it was directed at me. Obviously, it was directed at you. In, inside <laughs> yeah, joke. I didn't think it was me. So that's, when you throw uh, a rock into a pack of dogs, no one that howls is the one. Anyway, so I've only heard that a million um, times. Yeah, I know. The so the fact, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, we 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 don't have the freedom to just right. do whatever we want. Well, we do have the freedom to do whatever we want, but there are, <laughs> it doesn't make it right. Well, and see, individual soul liberty should push against the whole, this is my truth, you know, and we oh live my, in that yes. day and age. It's, it's, and I think the whole, my truth thing is our societies. It's the fruit of far too many churches treating individual soul Liberty, like, Hey, you can do whatever the world you want to do because, Hey, we're at Liberty and people embrace wrong and, and it just, it snowballs into licentiousness that, mm-hmm. hey, I have my truth, you have your truth, but there is truth. That truth is God. Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Well, and that brings up a good, maybe a segue into another thought, which is this, that soul liberty, going back to your passage of Romans 14, Steve, doesn't give us the right to flaunt our freedoms where it might discourage another brother, weaker or stronger. Romans 14 and 15. So what do you do when your soul liberty is 
becoming a stumbling block to somebody, but yet you feel so compelled about your soul liberty that you don't feel compelled to change. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it, does that make sense? If if my soul liberty, you know, I should give up my liberty, you know, to to help minister to someone else until it gets to the line where it crosses my conscience. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think this is in Ephesians 5. You know, Ephesians 5, when it starts talking about submission, so often the, the conversation today jumps to wives submitting to their husbands. And I think that distracts from where it begins mm-hmm. back up and it describes every believer submitting to one another. And so I think yeah. that there there is the sense in which we want to submit to one another and be So you gracious. submit to one another in the fear of God? Is that the way that's put? Oh, yeah. Right. 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 So that that kind of sums it up. So it's not that's the fear key of to man, that passage. But it's mm-hmm. it's that submission to to one another, recognizing that we may disagree on things, recognizing that we'll have stronger or, or you know, weaker for want of a better word, opinions on different things. Um, but we make allowance for that. And I think where we see this happening in the local church is sometimes, you know, my soul liberty, if it doesn't line up with the local church I'm in then maybe if I feel that strongly about it, I need to go and find a church where my soul liberty is, you know, more in aligned with theirs. Yes, but maybe you should understand that what you def- I'm not you mean you, Martin, but maybe you should understand that what you define as liberty in Romans 14 is not liberty. You're misapplying the concepts of grace and liberty, and there really is a commandment from the Lord you're just trying to slide out of. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. No, and I think that that's the other side of it. Sometimes you may say, well, you know, actually, um, you know, this isn't something which is fundamental and I am willing to, you know, submit to the local church I'm in and, you know, sacrifice what I see as something that's preferential. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I like that. I I, I want to take opportunity and I don't want, I, I know it's, it's bad airtime to just, I, I'm not going to drone on, but I got to give my, I have a, and I, I've talked to people online. I've had a Twitter discussion about this, which no. Twitter is the stupidest way to communicate. It really yes. is. You can follow a train Amen, of thought. Brother. Amen. But here's Glad the reality we got this recorded. is I am not a fan of the word preference. And here's why I'm not, because as you read Romans 14, it's it's about my relationship to God and then my relationship to brothers and sisters in Christ. And to me, if you take any area of, of life that has moral consequences and value to it, and if you just say, well, that's a preference decision, it gives the opinion as if Everything I can just kind of make yeah. up my own mind. Yes. And I'm just not crazy about that myself. So, and even, even, so the word preference, the word gray areas, I'm just not a big fan of that. Cause to me, where I stand in so many areas of my life that are considered Christian Liberty, I believe between me and God, there should be a black and white line. It's like here is sin and here is not. And that involves my heart. It involves my actions. It involves my decisions. That's that black and white between me and God. Now where where me and someone else then interact in that scenario and that thing, we our black and white line is going to be different. So vertically, it's all black and white. Horizontally, where those lines cross, that's going to create a gray area. But to me, that's not preference. That's that's liberty and that's grace. And then one more thing, and then I'm done. I, I don't want to drone here, but then to me, there's a spectrum horizontally 
of a cliff. And to me, the cliff is this. It's at some point you've got to say, that's just anti-Bible. That's not, that's not the spectrum of liberty. That's, that's just foolishness. And it totally contradicts what the Bible says. You know, one of the, one of the hot button issues of liberty is, is the way we dress and, and things, but I'm telling you, can't just dismiss parts of the Bible that talk about that. And to me, you, you've gone over the line at that point. You might disagree with me on where some of those things fall out, but don't tell me, you know, to me, there is that cliff. Would you yeah, preach I, on a Sunday morning without a tie on? <laughs> oh, my soul. You asking me that or Tom? I'm asking you, Mr. I have no preferences. <laughs> well, th- okay. Oh, All right. See, so now, now see, um, I, I like, the, I like you saying that cause I actually have been challenged on that by my good friend, uh, pastor AJ Potter in Pleasantville, Iowa, you know, cause he was like, would you have a, a, a screen or a projector in your church? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm okay. He goes, well, someone doesn't, is that I just never. a reference? I would, yeah, yeah, whatever. Purple lights, but yeah, um, and and not to kind of chase down the rabbit of preference and soul liberty and split it. I, I think it's and you know, Tom, you were going to come in there, so I, I'm sorry if I cut you off, but I think soul liberty is it's a simple thing, and yet it may be bigger than we we sometimes give it credit for. Um, H. Macbeth was a Baptist historian, educator, and he said that the the concept of the soul's competency is more than a single doctrine. Actually, it undergirds all the other doctrines of the faith. And so I think it's simple, and yet I think it's pretty broad at the same time. And so that's why I say, well, you know, you don't believe in preferences, and yet maybe there's just more to it. It it does apply to many, many different things because it's about how we make decisions. And I think what Steve spoke to a moment ago about, he used the term the cliff, and I would use the term a line, one of the things that's frustrated me so much in discussions I've had about dress or about music or about any number of hot button issues is it's not that someone disagrees with me about where to draw the line. It's when they insist there isn't a line. Um, mm, yes. That, that, okay. So Amen. I have a position on music. Your position is different, but don't come to me with the idea that music is amoral, which means there isn't a line. Right. Okay, let's let, let's. So your line is different than mine. We can have that discussion, but I don't buy there isn't a line. And the people that abuse soul liberty are the people who interpret it all, mo- many of their decisions through the lens of, I can do whatever I want because I have soul liberty, meaning there isn't any line. It throws out any concept of commandments except for love God and do as you please. It throws out so much of the of of the restriction of the word of God, which is designed to bring liberty. Right. I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. As almost said. Hmm. And that's why I like to bring the word responsibility into the definition of soul liberty, because I'm not free to do as I please. I'm free to respond to God without interference from another person. Yeah. You know, Solomon said that in in so many words, and this is this is an awesome verse to me in Ecclesiastes 11, 9. He said, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart. And in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. I think it's a it's an interesting thing. If you stop halfway through the verse, it's like, oh, follow your heart, do what you want, pursue your dreams. Yes, there's there's room for ambition, there's room for forward motion, there's room for excitement in the Christian life. Just know whatever road you travel down, God's gonna bring it into judgment. Doesn't matter what it is. That's where we can't get away from the responsibility. 
Mm, that's it's good. like that, that T-shirt you see sometimes, you know, at pride marches. Only God can judge me. Yeah, you better. Which ought to scare that you. Ought to scare death, you. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the things that enters into this discussion is the relationship we have to the law. And frankly, even within a church setting, when we start to establish rules and laws, I, I'm more and more convinced, and you guys are probably disagree with me on this to some extent, maybe, maybe not, but it's like we've created these rules and laws because we kind of get lazy in trying to disciple people's hearts. Um, but I, I understand as an organization, you need certain parameters and certain things, but the fact of the matter is, um, you know, people need to learn why they're doing what they're doing and rules can teach that. Um, but one more thing before you, you just write me off as an utter liberal. Cause you know, I'm not the most liberal guy on here, by the way. Um, but, uh, is You're the to whole me? idea, the whole idea that me. relationships, he's certainly not talking to me again. <laughs> <laughs> relationships create rules I mean, it really does. And our relationship with God is going to create certain things. What God disdains, we should disdain. You know, we have a rule in my house. Thou shalt not have cats because I'm allergic to cats and God's allergic to sin. So, you know, to to act like liberty doesn't have any rules to it. So you would prefer that folks not have cats in near you. Okay. I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge. But no, I actually, I'm going to give you a challenge here from the Bible as opposed to my own snarkiness on the issue of preference. If we, if you're totally against preference, then was it an absolute law that Timothy needed to be circumcised or was it a preference? I know where, you, I know where you're going with that. I, I think it's a matter of faith. Because this great chapter, Romans 14, ends you, with... You just won't define it as doubt, a preference. He I understand. doubteth is damned I understand. if he eat, but he that eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So it was a decision of faith. It was it was what I call um, situational decision-making, not situational ethics, but every situation. And that's one of the problems sometimes with these rules. Pragmatism. Oh, stop it. It's not. That's the problem. With he struggles many times with the P we... words, pragmatism, preferences. <laughs> no, there's just so many variables you have in every situation that if every time when you have a group of people, you set a rule to solve a problem, you're just, you know, to the making of rules, there is no yeah, end. Yeah, I, I agree you to the end. You have a rule that we can't have preferences? <laughs> oh, my soul. You see where this goes with soul liberty? It's Well, yes. Exactly. All right. So, well, if there's so no here, then there's no soul liberty. Here is where liberty here's side. where we. I'm sorry. I just realized I interrupted you rudely, Tom. No, it's not a preference, Tom. That's the thing. That's my. I know you guys are all against me on this, but that's not the, that's it, not ca- the case at all. Truth never fears fears a challenge, bro. That's all this is. We're just challenging this thing. We're fleshing it yeah, out. All right. I'm, okay. I'm so you have the soul liberty to be wrong about this. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so there's <laughs> yeah. an application. Can we maybe do it? I, I think this may help perhaps in, in fleshing this out a little bit. Um, and if not, shoot me down, cut this out of the recording or whatever. I don't know. But maybe have an exercise of thinking of how the idea of soul liberty has developed 
from the New Testament era. We clearly see it. We've referenced Romans 14. I think, you know, the whole <laughs> biblical premise is built upon soul liberty, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt, thou shalt not. You choose what you're going to do, but there's consequences for that choice. So it's in the Bible. But how did it, how did it develop through church history? And right. how did so, it, I think, reach some kind of fruition here in the United States? So if we were to oversimplify, we would say, well, Paul's individual soul liberty had to do with meat offered to idols and his effectiveness in the gospel. And today we're arguing over ties. That's an oversimplification. <laughs> but One thing led to another. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all you can do is preach with a Wait, white shirt What did on. Tom just say? I said hugely. Yes, that's a huge oversimplification. I, I, I think I think we just I think we just stumbled onto something in this in this reality is you have what what the way this is attacked is through control and then that's on the leadership side and then fear on the fellowship side. So in our present day church movement, and I'll let me use present day back to the fifties, even though I didn't live in the fifties. Really? You did have a lot in independent fundamental Baptist churches. You had a lot of personality. You had a lot of superstars. You had this, you know, I don't want to say cult of personality because I don't want to cast judgment in that realm, but you have strong leaders declaring this is the way it ought to be. And if it's not, and then you have Bible colleges and Christian schools rising up, making these rules around what these men believe. And, and I think it was something that, ultimately didn't help people grow as much as it helped people maybe look like what someone thought they ought to look like. Okay. So we're doing a disservice to the discussion if we don't at least try, and I'm not saying we're going to be perfect at this, but if we don't at least try to make solid application to, to how, how individual soul liberty in a biblical sense might look today. And Martin, you were edging that direction. I just don't want us to get out of this, get done with this podcast and not have dealt with that. So what today do we look at and say that is a matter of individual soul liberty? Let's, I oversimplified it earlier unfairly, right? Well, let's give a thorough answer. Let's give it, let's put some thought into this right here now. I mean, unrehearsed. Um, but what do you guys think? Well, here, here's my summation of how, how we've discussed this, and it's this. And I think Romans 14 bears this out. It's don't be afraid of men. And in that is the idea you don't judge another man's servant. Be afraid of God. Fear God. Walk in faith. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And then love love your brothers and sisters in Christ the way God would want you to. I mean, consider other people and the fact that you don't live in a vacuum or a world and consider that other people struggle with things and, you know, uh, and care about them. Martin. I don't, th I think we're not asking some of the hard questions. How many of our listeners, how many of the four of us only wear a tie and, and I, it's a, it's low hanging fruit. I get it. But how many of us wear a tie because we like it? and we believe it's right, and how many of us do it because it's expected? You talk about the fear of man, the one okay, side. The I'll answer that. Um, I wear a tie every service I preach because it makes me think different about what I'm about to do. It puts me in a frame of mind. How I dress puts me in a frame of mind. Mm -hmm. I also do it because 
I don't want to offend another brother who views that as important. So in that sense, you could you could make one argument and say that's a fear of man. You could make another argument and say, I'm submitting myself to another, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that goes back to what's in the heart. I'm not afraid of that guy. I don't want to bring up something that's going to cause him not to listen to the message, to write me off, to short circuit my influence, which is whatever. Do you understand what yeah, I'm saying? I, I right. do, but yeah, I think I'm, sometimes you're you're creating the the um the fear of man in that. Like um, again, the word offense isn't upsetting someone; it's causing someone to sin. So. That that's something I often struggle with in that because don't you think that, don't I, you think I try my best to be understanding that people believe differently than me, and you know in that I I, I want to be understanding, but I I sometimes think we create a culture of don't don't upset someone that believes different. I mean, because honestly, I mean, we could take your example and throw that to an extreme. We could throw it the other way. As in how many people are turned off when they come in to see someone wearing a tie because no one else wears a tie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not and saying I understand that's, that's that that example is. How many times is that happening yeah, on see, either I, side I of that? I think though? that's a good example yeah. of this discussion, to be honest, because it's just such right. a, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It, it's not. It's, it's a preference. It's a moral issue. <laughs> it's well, a what would be, what would be a, a, an issue that is a reality to our listeners where there is a significant difference, a significant difference okay. where they get this? exercise. How, how about people that are in our church who are members who come every Sunday morning, but don't come Sunday night because they don't think they have to. Is that valid? Is that invalid? I'm not sure I follow. Okay. So, I have people that attend my church, as I'm sure you do, who come Sunday morning but refuse to come Sunday night consistently, perpetually, Mm -hmm. just refuse to. I look at that like they're refusing to assemble with God's people when church is open, which is a violation of the Word of God. They look at it and say, well, I have the right to decide not to come. There's nothing in the Bible about Sunday night church. Right. Mm -hmm. So, And I would look at it differently than they would. They're going to say, well, I've got the liberty to make this decision, not just the right— but, you know, I, I'm, my conscience is, is my conscience is clear. I'm OK with God. And I would look at it as a pastor and I would say they're wrong with God. Right. And to me, the answer to the, every question when it comes to this kind of stuff is what did God tell you? Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And you can't tell someone what God said to them. And if they're convinced of that, um, I don't know. Yeah, but if, with if that they either. believe they're right, that doesn't that mean they're right. You can no, have faith about something. No, it but doesn't centuries, at all. But centuries ago. The, the reason, okay, the activation of individual soul liberty meant that the Baptists separated from the separatists over infant baptism. Like, isn't that such a bigger issue than ties? Like, what today is that big for us? That's what I'm asking. What is that big for us today? Yeah, and, and I get it. And that's why, I, you know, the, the tie example, you know, I accept it wasn't the best one. But, you know, it's, but it's an easy one. It's, it's, a, it's an easy thing. And yet... How big of an issue do we make it? It depends on who the we is. Do you is. see what I mean? Okay. He'll, it really Russ, does. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Russ, because okay. I don't want to just default to the fact you're the youngest, but you are. Is there a generational difference in how, from your perspective, in how individual soul liberty is viewed instinctively by a, a younger generation than an older generation? That, that's what I've 
that's what I've been trying to sit here and think about. I, I'm, I'm being honest with you, not trying to not give an answer. Um, and I'm not attacking anyone for bringing up the idea of the ties. I'm really not. I'm just challenging it beyond something that's superficial. Um, I have a guy in my church. He's a Mennonite or he came out of the, out of Mennonite uh, background and their position on ties was exactly opposite in that they said, if you wore one, you were worldly and they called them devil rags. And I thought, whoa. So here are these ultra separated Mennonites were actually mad about the fact people were wearing ties. And then the ultra separated independent Baptists are mad that they're not. Okay. But if you're asking when I hear individual soul liberty, do I think of ties? No, I don't. I can't speak for the rest of my generation. So what do we think of? Mm -hmm. I'm putting, I'm just trying to get there. No, that's not what I mean. What do you think of? Okay. That may be where you're trying to go. My question is, does your generation think of it too much too often? Or maybe that's what my generation would say. That it throws too much into that into that wheelbarrow. So you think the one generation, it was more heavily leaning towards agreement, whereas maybe a younger generation is more heavily towards making allowances for different. Don't you think there's something in the younger generation in America today? This is America, not just not just Baptist churches, that is against anything that smacks of authority. Well, yeah, that I do. I, I'm beginning to under, understand your question. Yes, I do. So then isn't there some of that that is generational where all this cry about, don't trample over my liberty, I got the right to do this, you can't tell me what to do. Isn't some of that a generational perspective, a culture-driven perspective? It's not a biblical response to a particular issue? I would agree with that. Yes, that's correct. So is that liberty without responsibility? Tom, would you say that's... Well, from my perspective, many times yes, but again... That's my perspective. Right. right. Yeah. I, I I like to think, you know, we mentioned earlier submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And to me, every discussion comes back to the Lord. It comes back to our Savior. And Romans 14, that's one of the main points of that chapter is we'll give account of ourselves to God so in right. every scenario, like people listening to this that are thinking, wow, I, I mean, my pastor doesn't function like, you know, the guys on the Dear Church podcast. I, I definitely don't want to hurt any church in any way, shape, matter, or form. But I think sometimes we we can't take God out of the equation in this aspect. Submitting yourselves to another in the fear of God and, and liberty is this. It's I, I want to do right by God for the role that I play in my life and where I am in my life, whether I be a pastor, a church member, a husband, a wife, a child, because in submitting and in doing what God wants me to do, I'm going to fear God because I give an answer to him. And if something messes up in my church, if something messes up in my home, by God's grace, it won't be me because I'm submitting to God and to the people around me with that attitude and with that spirit, that spirit. And that helps me. And I, that's what I would encourage people. It's remember when we're talking about all this stuff, it's about being right with God and the people around you and having the right spirit. I think the reason that soul liberty or soul competency was brought into question or brought into the forefront of any discussion years ago was it was in essence people saying you, whether that was to the government or some hierarchical type of church governance, um, they're saying you will not 
rule over me in such a way that you cause me to violate my conscience. Mm-hmm. That that is why they they emphasized and articulated individual soul liberty the way that they are, or the way that they did rather. So yes, today I think a lot of the rebellion and I think a lot of the the outcry of you know, um, as Tom was saying, not not wanting any authority and and that kind of thing. Uh, sometimes we call that individual soul liberty and it's like, eh, actually, that's just kind of a cultural generational thing. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at today how that applies. And the one thing I love about our podcast is that we're going to get to the end of some discussions and realize there's more there's more to be researched. There's more to be discerned on a matter. And I certainly, for one, I'm glad that we had this conversation because it provokes to thought. I mean, it really it's helped me today. Yeah, I, I've been encouraged. You know, I was thinking about the fact we have a great illustration in in our history about liberty and about freedom and tyranny. And, you know, we had a monarchy over us um, from across the ocean. And we said, oh. just leave us alone. Leave us alone. And they wouldn't. Oh, and they said, leave us alone. And finally, we just said, hey, we are independent from you. And I'm not taking jabs at anyone on the podcast, but of course not. that's a great illustration. It's like just, <laughs> you know, and there's the story. And I, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast yet or not, but it's the famous Melissa Brudneck quote, my beautiful and wonderful wife, you know, just let them be wrong. And my wife says that to me, you know, not so much anymore because I've I, that's part of my life. It's like, yeah, that preacher doesn't agree with you. Just let them be wrong. But on the flip side, Discussion is good. Sharpening is good. Like this discussion now. And we're not always going to agree on every topic we have. And, you know, we shouldn't, but we should be challenged by that and not offended that someone believes differently. It's a, no, it's I, a precious doctrine, just a precious. And, and we can't let it slip as out of a desire to get somewhere faster with somebody. Can I ask a question again? I know I'm maybe you guys would say no. <laughs> uh you brought up government, you brought up that, and that, that is something I hadn't thought of as, as I was sitting here kind of fleshing this out in my mind. Do you feel like the individual soul liberty of scripture applies in any way to what's going on with COVID right now? Absolutely. I think there's, there's individual soul liberty isn't, it, uh, you know, it fits with the acrostic letter I, but the concept is, is personal but it gets extrapolated out corporately for the church. Does the government have the right to tell the church what to do? Where could the church say, I'm accountable to God, and so I'm not going to answer to king so-and-so or to governor so-and-so? And you've got to draw that line. And along with that is that, vert- is that horizontal tension that Breadneck described, where different churches are doing different things in relation to COVID, and different churches are under different, in- different rules and different states and countries and things. And I've got my view about how this brother did this and this brother did that. Um, we've got to give grace to each other. But in, in the final analysis, every Christian and corporately every church has to realize they're going to answer to their head, which is Jesus Christ. So I've got to please him. I, I, and, and if that makes brother so-and-so upset, if that makes governor so-and-so upset, I've got to answer to God. And it has a huge, mm-hmm. huge, not just not just corporate church, but political and American history and all yeah. that. It's enormous. Well, I think. I think it perfectly illustrates how Steve lined it out earlier, right? From the position of the leadership, we can't be domineering. From the position of the follower, we can't be afraid of man. And both to our fellow uh, churches and pastors, as well as to the government, you know, 
when COVID broke out a couple of years ago, God just kind of impressed on my heart that I'm going to cut my brethren a break in, a, in the areas of individual soul liberty, because I knew when this went down that there was no playbook. And I thought it was interesting how let's just use medically and not talk about ministry um, styles and things of that nature, just to avoid that at this point. But some of the pastors I know went to mask services and um, very, very much a lot of social distancing and different things. And some of them uh, in more open states said, no, we're going to do this. And then some of them in those open states said, we're actually going to be more restrictive. I felt like that was something for the churches and the pastor to decide. And I didn't take, I didn't take shots at my brothers for the way that they handled that within their church. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Yeah. When it comes to COVID, that's a great lesson. I I think everyone does kind of have that spirit. I, Mm -hmm. I hope of just, you know, everyone looked at it differently, handled it differently. Um, but but you my know, point is that, that that's an illustration yeah. of of individual soul liberty that that's a big thing that we can we can wrap our minds around here which so which goes yeah. back to what, what you said or Martin said earlier that it has a lot of applications it's a doctrine that mm-hmm. goes a lot of it touches on lots and lots of different things amen yeah and let me just say this i don't think we should disrespect any person um especially preachers but i've been in preachers meetings where someone will preach something I don't agree with, and I think they're re- overreaching. Um, I might talk to them privately, or I might just think, "Huh, yeah, I don't agree." <laughs> yeah, I don't see that in the Bible, and I don't get all offended. I don't get all bent out of shape. I don't go. I don't even go tweet about it. Okay, I don't. I you know where else I, I do it besides I, preachers meetings? I do it a lot in podcast discussions. <laughs> do you? <laughs> so, Tom, you don't so even listen. Where does the the church- only podcast you listen to is this one. <laughs> I know he doesn't even listen to this one. The point. (laughs) (laughs) So with you know, let's say there's a church member there, they don't feel like they align with their local church with soul liberty. And in a moment, I think we need to flip it around and say, what if uh, a pastor doesn't feel like his soul liberty is in alignment with his local church? What do they do? Well, what's the practical application? And Tom started edging this way earlier, and we've kind of veered around a lot, a lot, I know. But how do you relate to others when you have a you come to different conclusions? I have an easy answer, and it's not overly simplistic, but you, you talk to the boss about it. And I don't mean that irreverently. I, w- I was illustrating the fact that God is in charge, Christ is the head of the church, and I think prayer is a huge thing that can change people and situations. Mm -hmm. God's really teaching our church a lot about prayer. In fact, you had talked about what's been going on since our last podcast, and we just keep seeing God answer prayers and do miracles in awesome ways around this place. And, you know, you've got to talk to God about it and believe God can work on someone from the inside out. I think, Brother Rush, you mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. That's a very spiritual answer and not to negate the importance of prayer, but I feel like you dodged <laughs> no. the question. You've prayed oh, about it. Soul. You've prayed about it and you still disagree with your brother and sister in Christ. What do you do? You love them. Yeah. And then what? <laughs> there may not be a resolution. Love, love is not something and so what do you do? after. I, lo- I love your desire to get practical here. I love it. <laughs> I think at that uh, well, this point, is where I think it's okay. So there's, I've, I've I've made this statement to church members who've come to me with a disagreement. I can live with your disagreement with me. I can live with that. But if you can't live with it, then go. 
I'm okay with you being in my church and disagreeing with me about this thing. It's, I'm not going to be upset about that. But if you're going to be so upset that you have to go, then go. God bless you. At some point, if you cannot live with someone in some sort of a relationship with a disagreement of, mm-hmm. about a doctrine or practice, if you can't avoid them or avoid the thing or you can't minimize it in your mind, love can't get over it, prayer can't get over it, forgiveness can't get over it, length of perspective can't get over it, etc., then yes, you do need to go separate ways. That's where Paul and Barnabas went separate ways, and there was wisdom there. Mm-hmm. Right. And that yeah, was one of the texts I almost, had written down, you know, I, I, and that's where I'm kind of getting to. I think, this, and this is the beauty of the local church. You align with your local church, and I, I think, Tom, you answered it, you know, perfectly there. I think you, you know, you you sometimes choose to live with it. You live with the disagreement, and you focus on what you agree on um, and, and just grow around Christ. But it's right. the same and, as saying, and, and, "Don't be a uh, snowflake." <laughs> we're, but we're gonna we're gonna disagree at times. I mean, think about the fact we allow Steve on this podcast. I'm sorry, oh, that was too soul. far. I shouldn't have gone there. Speaking that was wrong. Snowflake, Steve, go ahead. Hey, yeah. In again, right in the pinnacle chapter chapter of of liberty is verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, no, that's and true. the things no. wherewith one may edify one another. And I feel bad grow, for on learn you. from it. Agree to disagree. Yeah, you should true. feel bad for picking on me. I'm a nice yeah, guy. I think, okay, so you want you want a, a concrete example of what this is like in real life. Let's shift it out of church into the home. Yeah. What into do parents do with their adult children? <laughs> How do you? I mean, there's lots and lots of sticky wickets there. What do they right? do or what should they do? Correct. <laughs> and vice versa. What does the adult child do with his parent who know, he knows that his parent disagrees with him or he disagrees with his parent? How do you maintain that relationship? What? Where's the responsibility there? Where's the, you know, the, that, that is a big discussion, but that is an application of this, I think. Yeah, I know what other people's adult children should do, yes. but it's yes, different sir. than what I think my adult children should do. Yeah. I don't have any adult children. <laughs> Praise God. I don't have I to think my, about it. I, I tell my adult children this is that you're adults when it's convenient and your kids when it's convenient. So just get used to it until you get a little bit use older. <laughs> well, this has all been good. Um, Stephen, how about you read our letter to the church for today? Dear church, we acknowledge that the topic at hand is one for which Christians stood strongly in times past. Many were even willing to give their lives to avoid compromise in this area. So we approach it with the respect and dignity it deserves. And so we challenge ourselves to honor its biblical origin and historical adherence by devoting ourselves to its application in our own lives. To do this, we must actively refuse to violate our spiritual conscience, especially out of the fear of man. We must also reject the tendency to use the liberty we have in Christ as an occasion to the flesh. Many have embraced such a rabid individualism that touts liberty as a means to avoid the responsibility we have to obey Scripture. We are free to sin, but we are not free to avoid the consequences of our sin. Leaders, we should never attempt to replace the Holy Spirit. When we cross that line, we overstep our role as under-shepherds. Peter said it best when he said, we're not to lord over Christ's heritage. The church has one Lord, and we're blessed to be included in His plan for the flock of God. Control and conformity only yield temporary results, but a work of God in the heart of the individual will transform a life. The scripture says that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Every individual will have to give an account for himself and not to us, but to God. 
So let us do our work and live our lives in full confidence and faith in the Word of God. Let us realize that we must all give an account to a holy God. And as we stand in the scriptures, may we stand for the sole liberty of the believers. Your fellow servants, Martin, Steve, Tom, and Stephen. Thank you.